Hello everybody, welcome. This is the podcast Woman and Mythology and I'm your host Maria. In today's episode, we will go through the tasks of the story of Skeleton Woman. If you haven't heard the tale yet or the first half of the interpretation, I invite you to return to episodes. This will enrich your experience. In the previous episode, we have seen that Skeleton Woman is the archetype of the life-death-life nature. And the big initiation of the story of Skeleton Woman is about finding, understanding, and embracing the life-death-life nature that is a cycle of animation, decline, and development. In the beginning of the tale, it is said that Skeleton Woman is thrown over the cliff by her father, and no one remembers exactly what she did to make him so furious. We could see that briefly as a part of ourself or our external society, perhaps a very patriarchal part of ourselves, that recludes, excludes, exhiles the life death life nature, skeleton woman, because it has brought us something that we could not sustain. Perhaps we did not have the tools to sustain it at, at that time. But now, hopefully through this story, we will understand the importance of embracing skeleton women and also the gifts that come when we do embrace her. And the first task of the tale is the finding of spiritual treasure. We see this when the fisherman goes out hunting and he hooks skeleton women. Fishermen and hunters are mythological figures that symbolizes the ones who seek to know. Every time you see a fisherman or a hunter in a story, you can immediately think that that's a part of yourself that wish to know. As I've said before, when we interpret these fairy tales and myths, we look at the characters of the story as parts of our own psyche. So here we have a part of ourselves that is seeking for development. And it is not any form of development. It is a development with the instinctual world because when one fish or when one hunts, it is hunting a part of the wild. It could be a whale, it could be a fish, it could be a boar or a deer. And that means that there is a part of the self trying to merge with the instinctual nature. Clarissa Pinkola Estes says that the archetype of the seeker always seek for sustenance or for consolation. The archetype of the seeker always operates in three different ways, the sacred, a mean-spirited, or a bumbling way. In the story, we have our fishermen, not mean-spirit, but also not operating in a sacred way. He's definitely bumbling. He's going out and about fishing, seeking, trying to merge with the instinctual world, but in a bumbling way, which would perhaps be this bumbling between the conscious and the unconscious, being intentional about what he's doing, but also being in a very automatic mode. And I always ask my participants to reflect, as you are a seeker, because there is no way that you are listening to this podcast or that you are reading material on mythology and not being a seeker. So 
as I welcome them into the rooms where I teach my workshops or we're in the virtual world, I always ask them, as a seeker, in which way are you operating? In which way are you seeking? What would be a sacred way for you? What would be the mean-spirited way? Or when were you operating in a mean-spirited way? It's important to realize that because as we bring things to conscious, we can then do something about it. Are you operating in a bumbling way? I would say that there are as many sacred ways to do it as there are women in this world. For me, operating in a sacred way is doing and seeking with a lot of intention, a lot of presence. And nowadays where we are consumed by internet, social media, phone, small talks, to be present, it's actually very hard. So for me, the presence would be one of the key components of operating in a sacred way and also having a clear intention and being open for this intention to change or for something new to emerge. Also very personal, but for me to be operating in a bumbling way, and I would say that that's the trap. Most of the time I feel myself and I also see others operating in a bumbling way is when we are doing hundreds of things at the same time, when we are attending so many different workshops and courses and reading so many different materials that we cannot be fully present with that. And I don't think that's necessarily a negative thing. I think there are phases in our lives that we do need all of that medicine. It's like going to a buffet. We need to heal a deep hunger. But until we learn to operate in a sacred way, until we learn to have that presence, to have that intention with the work, the work will never do its most. The mean-spirited way, and again, this is very personal, can be when one is seeking for the ego only. They are seeking to not to feed their soul, but to feed only their ego self. When they are feeding just for themselves as well, when they want the development just for themselves, the information, the knowledge just for themselves, and they are not willing to share, or they are not willing to give credit. But no matter the way we are walking, no matter the way that we are seeking, we will all stumble upon treasure. The task is to recognize it. The soul needs to recognize it. If you have heard the episode of Manawe and where we make the distinction between the soul self and the ego self and why the development of both sides are very important, this is something to remember right now because if the soul self is not well developed, if the soul self it is not fully alive, it won't be able to recognize it. It won't be able to recognize the treasure when it sees it. It won't be able to recognize skeleton woman when she surfaces from the water. In this first task, we also have the metaphor of fishing something from under the sea. When the fisherman goes out bumbling and he throws his hook and from all places it catches on the ribcage of skeleton woman. And when he's bringing that from under the sea, to the topside world, it means we are bringing something from the unconscious to the conscious realm. Within our psyche, 
there is this process happening. What he is doing right now, he's bringing the life-death life to the conscious realm. Perhaps this process was happening when you heard the tale of Skeleton Woman. That was the moment that she was being fished from the bottom to the topside world. Or maybe it was a little bit later when you heard the first interpretation of the tale, the one where I discussed the archetype of Lady Death of Skeleton Woman. Or maybe it's just now when it's becoming clearer and clearer. So the fisherman here does not know what he is fishing for, but he hunts for two reasons. As I said, or he is seeking sustenance or he is wounded seeking consolation. It does not matter. The fisherman will receive a treasure. We will all receive a treasure. And that leads us to our second task, the chase and the hiding. So the fishermen brought skeleton women from under the ocean to the topside world. And when he sees her, she is quite an image. She has those horrible teeth and the skull, and she's a skeleton, but all entangled. And his first reaction is deep, deep fear. And he runs off. He starts paddling back to the shore, and he doesn't realize that she's tangled in his line, going, being carried with him. And this phase of chase and hiding is the moment where we realize that the life, death, life, nature, skeleton woman exists and she's there and she's waiting for us and she's just in the corner of our eye, but we are not fully ready to embrace her. We are not fully ready to allow her into our lives. Basically, we do not want to acknowledge that we must make love to her, that we must love her, that we must love the life, death, life, nature. So we run. But because the archetype have its own force, it follows us. And this is one of the big tragic comedies of life. The more we run from it, the more energy is injected in this relationship of chasing and hiding. It can also be seen as a chasing from the unconscious to conscious. You could see it in the outer world, for example, as listening to this podcast, talking about the life, death, life, nature, and being, okay, I want to embrace it. Let me think about it. Let me apply it to my life. Where am I resisting death? Where am I resisting to give life? Where am I trying to freeze the cycle? But then as you move on to your chores, your tasks, the things you need to do through the day, you're putting it back in your unconscious. But the archetype is alive in you right now. So it will try to come back again. And there will be this chase and hiding. It can also be seen as the phase where lovers try to rationalize their fears. They say to themselves, I can do better with someone else. I don't want to give up my freedom or my space. I don't want to change my life or I don't want to face my wounds or anyone else's or I'm not ready yet. I don't want to be transformed without first knowing in absolute detail what I will look like or feel like afterwards. These are some of the things that we say to ourselves when we're trying to rationalize our fear of the life, death, life, nature. Because there's one thing that is certain. It is that skeleton woman, the cycle, 
will bring change to your life. When you are in the death phase and life comes, it will bring change. When you are in the life phase and the cycle turns and death comes, it will bring change. And we are so not used to change. We are so attached to things as we know. And change comes with the unknown. So when we try to rationalize these fears, when we say to ourselves, no, I am not ready for this or for that, it is actually the fear of the change, the fear of skeleton woman. But if we are lucky, and most of us are, she will keep chasing us. She will continue to be hooked in our line, meaning she will follow us until we have the courage to sit and untangle the skeleton. And this is the third task, untangling the skeleton. Untangling means to begin to understand its applications and uses. If you think about the knots, when something is tangled, it has many knots. And when you untangle, you are opening something that was closed before. To untangle, one also needs to come into very close contact and use its hand to open these knots. And this means to have hands-on knowledge of skeleton women, of the cycles, learning its rhythms. We must learn the cycle so well so we can almost anticipate it. I believe I've said this before in a previous episode, but I'll repeat it again. We want to know so much of the cycle that we can know it's coming, not in a manipulative way, not in a way that you are controlling it, but in a way that shows that you have a hands-on knowledge, lived experience with the cycle. An example would be for women who menstruate. Perhaps they are menstruating. I'll give my example. For over 17, 18 years of my life. And because of this lived experience with my menstrual cycles, I know when it's coming. I know that when my skin reacts in a certain way, when my belly or my breasts are bloated in a certain way, when my mood change, when my appetite changes, I know it's a sign that the bleeding is coming. And I know that not because I'm controlling and looking at an app and saying, okay, this is the day it is coming, but because I have hands-on knowledge and lived experience with my cycles so I can anticipate it. And because I can anticipate it, I can then prepare myself. Perhaps if I had many active meetings or outings, I would cancel them or I would prepare the food that I feel it is nourishing for that time. And that means you can also prepare yourself for the cycle. It does not mean you are controlling the cycle, but that you are preparing yourself for it. Will you empty your schedule to embrace the death that needs to come? Will you call a friend that you would like to share this moment of life that is arising? How you will anticipate and prepare for the cycle is up to you. But remember to have hands-on knowledge of the cycle. This is the beautiful moment where inside the house, the fisherman sees a skeleton woman. And perhaps because of the change of light, or because he was a lonely man, a feeling of compassion is washed over him, and he comes close to her and singing, Oh, na-na-na, oh, na-na-na, he kneels down and begins untangling the skeleton. To do that, 
One needs wild patience and a heart that is willing to die and be born and die again. This is what we need to be able to untangle skeleton women. We cannot fear doing the work. The ego is the side that fears. The soul wants to meet skeleton woman. The soul wants to know her, wants to untangle her, wants to learn its applications, wants to have this hands-on knowledge. One of the things that you can do to practice this hands-on knowledge, this untangling of skeleton women, is to ask yourself, what do I know should die, but I'm hesitant to allow to do so? Another way of posing a similar question is, what must I give more death to today in order to generate more life? What should die today? What should live today? What life am I afraid to give birth to? If not now, when? And these are some of the questions that you can ask yourself to inspire this untangling of skeleton woman. In the story, after the fisherman untangles her and finally she is a perfect skeleton with all the pieces of bone in its right place, he becomes very tired, tired from the day out fishing, tired from the emotional roller coaster he just went through, tired from the hard work of untangling a skeleton woman. And make no mistake, it is hard work. So, He sits down at the couch and he's looking at her from a distance and he falls asleep. And sleep in mythology is a space to be renewed. There are actually two different ways that we can read sleep in myths and fairy tales. One would be of being with no conscious, of being absent. But the other way, it would be as a sleep as a place of renewal. If we relate to our outer world, when we go to sleep every night, we wake up if we slept well, feeling our energy is restored. So this is what's happening to this part of our psyche. After doing this untangling, so perhaps after asking yourself the questions and journaling or answering it out loud, rest, enter the space of sleep. In sleep, we're also innocent. We shed cynicism. Sleep is the symbol of rebirth, of creation. In mythology, when someone sleeps, a transformation of some sort is taking place. Remember that innocence is different from naivety. Innocence is knowing that all good and bad exist, but still choosing good, while naivety is thinking that the bad does not exist. Remember Bluebeard. That's episode two. The girl there must lose her naivety. She must know that the predator exists. And in this fourth task of the sleep of trust, it is about knowing that whatever happens can be healed. Whatever death that skeleton woman brings can be healed. Whatever loss that skeleton woman creates in our lives can be healed. And she does so because she wants to enrich in our life. The cycle of life, death, life is supposed to create more life for us, even if it makes us go through death. So we need to trust the cycle deeply. We 
We need to trust a skeleton woman deeply. And that's the perfect metaphor for the sleep of trust, where we are in the process of being renewed, in the process of transformation, because now we have untangled skeleton woman. And at the same time, we trust the cycle. We trust her, trust so much that we can sleep. We are not afraid that she will attack us in the middle of the night. We trust her. We know that whatever she does to us while we are sleeping, while we are in our process of transformation, will be for our development. Trust so much like you trust yourself breathing when you sleep. This is the moment that we need to stay with it, sit with it, sleep with it, sleep with skeleton women. Then we will receive deeper understanding when we surrender, when we let go, we will be renewed by the life-death-life cycle. And this takes us to the fifth task of this story, the giving the tear. The fisherman, when he falls asleep on the couch and skeleton woman is just looking at him and she dare not speak a word because she's so afraid she's going to be thrown over the cliff again. As he sleeps, a tear escapes from his eye. This tear is creative power. In the story, the tear is power and compassion and passion for oneself and for the other. In many myths and fairy tales, we see tears as creative powers. In Peter Pan, they need to gather the tear from a mermaid, and that tear has healing powers. And tears really do have powers. When we think about when we cry, there is something that is being moisturized in our psyche. In a different tale, there is this beautiful metaphor about the tears being the ocean that lift the boat that was once stuck in the rocks and take it to new places. And this is what tears do for us. Finally, the knowledge of the life-death-life nature, the knowledge of skeleton women has risen from the unconscious to the conscious world. It has come to surface and it comes out in the form of a tear. And the tear causes skeleton women, causes the life-death-life nature to want further participation. She moves slowly from her place on the couch to the man and she puts her mouth close to the tear and the tear becomes a river and she drinks and drinks and drinks. And as she drinks, she's being fed. And we enter the sixth task, the heart as drum. Heart is an essential part of our body. One can remove almost everything of the body, the legs, half a lung, the eyes, the tongue, and still be able to live. However, if one removes the heart, one cannot live anymore. So the heart here is a symbol of the center, of the essential, of the fundamental. When skeleton woman reaches into the man's body and takes his heart, means that we are giving our heart, our full life to skeleton woman. We are giving everything to skeleton women, the moment she takes our heart. She is taking the essential part of us, the core, and that is what we need to give to skeleton women. This is what we need to place in the center of the life-death life. At the same time that we give our heart, 
we also bring the life, death, life to the core of us. And Skeleton Woman uses the heart as the motor of the entire psyche. She uses this to create life, to create rhythm, because she drums on the heart. If you remember from the story, she drums on the heart and she sings for flesh, she sings for eyes, she sings for the things between her legs, she sings for warm breaths. She creates life and she uses it as the motor of the entire psyche, which means our psyche, our conscious and unconscious processes, our life and soul will beat and move in the rhythm of Skeleton Woman. This is also the moment where, because we believe in Skeleton Woman, we trust her deeply, we are giving her power. And it's amazing to see how much another can do when it has our belief. It has received power from us. And finally, Skeleton Woman, using the heart as drum, drums off the clothes of the fisherman and crawls into bed with him and places the heart back in his body. And by morning, they are found together, merged, entangled, but now in a different way, in a long-lasting way. And this is the seventh and last task of this story, the dance of body and soul. To dance is to join the cycle of life-death-life. To make love is to merge spirit and matter, conscious to unconscious. We see here that in order to love, in order to fully allow skeleton woman, the life-death-life cycle, to do its work in our lives, we must be willing to kiss the hag. We must be willing to kiss and make love to skeleton woman. I hope you enjoyed this brief interpretation of the tasks within the story of Skeleton Women. I invite you to reflect on what should live today in your life and what should die today in your life and what do you know should die but you are hesitant to allow to do so. And what do you need to give more death to today in order to generate more life? What is stopping you from embracing skeleton women, from embracing the life-death-life cycle? As Clarissa Pinkola Estes says, answer these questions to begin to understand why love and life are to be lived by the bones. I would love to hear from you, so if you feel moved to, connect with me on Instagram at womanandmythology or through my website womanandmythology.com. Until our next story, I leave you with a Sufi prayer. Shatter my heart so a new room can be created for a limitless love.
Podcast Network.